Hello ladies and welcome to the Amazing Bible Book Club. I'm Julie Callio, your host, and thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at vab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Today we are looking at chapter 7 through 10 of 1 Corinthians. Verse 1a of chapter 7 begins, Now concerning the things about which you wrote. We have already discussed that the Apostle Paul started the church in Corinth, southern Greece, during his second missionary journey. 1 Corinthians is Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, and his first one is lost to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. The reason for this letter was partly because his first letter was misunderstood. Second, people from Chloe's household had told Paul about quarrels in the church, chapter 1, verse 11. And third, the church had sent Paul a letter with questions, especially about worship and marriage. Chapters 1 through 6 addressed the quarrels in the church which Paul heard about. And now in this section, Paul addressed the questions from their letter to Paul. The first topic Paul addressed was marriage in chapter 7. The rest of verse 1 reads, It is good for a man not to touch a woman. He's talking about not getting married. But then he continues that if this leads to immoralities, then each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. We also see in these verses a mutual respect, especially with regards to marital duties. In verse 7, Paul said, Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. Here Paul is saying that he wished that all men could stay single like he was, but he also understood that each person has their own gifts and some people are better married. He then addressed those who were married. In verse 10 he wrote, But to the married I give instructions, not I, but the Lord. And with this he speaks of the Old Testament commands of the Lord, that a wife should not leave her husband and the husband should not divorce his wife. The Lord loves marriage because it reflects the church as the bride of Christ and Christ as the groom. Also keep in mind that in Genesis chapter 2 verse 18, the Lord said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Then Paul moves into the situation when one of the married couples becomes a Christian and the other does not. He said that if the one who is not a Christian wants to stay married, then they should stay married for the spouse and children are blessed if they do. But if the non-Christian wants to be separated, then the Christian is not under bondage or obligation in those cases because God has called us to peace. Paul then adds as a reminder that if they stay together, there is a chance that the unbeliever may become a believer someday. Verse 17 reads, Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. Just as a reminder, many times Paul's letters were copied and then sent to other churches so that his message could be spread elsewhere. 
Paul then talked about the position of a person before they became a Christian, such as circumcised or uncircumcised, slave or free, single or married, and then said, remain that way and continue to serve the Lord, except if the slave can be free, then do so. Paul reminded the Corinthians that in Christ we are free men, and yet also in Christ we are the Lord's slave. Verse 23, you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. He does say that if you are single, but you want to get married, that is not a sin. But in verse 28b, he said, yet such will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. He then continued talking about when a person is single, he or she can serve the Lord and just focus on the Lord's work. But when married and then with kids, you have concerns in this world, such as feeding your family and bills and other concerns. As a wife and a mom, I can testify that you do have troubles and it can be hard. But when it is a part of your calling, you are serving the Lord faithfully, even when you're cleaning dishes or doing laundry. And those acts also can be holy unto the Lord, even if I was not out on the street corner sharing the gospel. As Paul says over and over again, it depends on what God has called you to do and the gifts that he has given you. Just a side note. If I have any young women listening today, as a young person, I wanted so badly to be married with kids. But someone once said that technically that cannot be a true goal because it takes someone else to make it happen. I can't get married all by myself. And I want to encourage you that God's timing is perfect. But in my life, before I got married, the Lord took me to a place to where I was content in being single. There is a wonderful missionary that went to China named Lottie Moon. She stayed single all her life and did amazing things in China and helped spread awareness of the needs of missionaries. If she were married, she could not have done all that she did. And yet, then there were other missionaries that purposely got married so that they could go overseas to serve as a missionary. The question is, how has God called you? In verse 39, we do see that Paul says that if a believer does get married, he or she is to marry another believer. He calls it in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 and 18, that we are not to be unequally yoked. Chapter 8 addressed the issue of Christian liberty or freedom. And since verse 1 starts, Now concerning things sacrificed to idols, it seems clear that this was another issue the Corinthians had written to Paul about. One thing to keep in mind in understanding this chapter is that the city of Corinth was full of Greek gods and sacrifices to those gods. Also in their city meat market, some of the meat had been offered to idols or blessed by idolatrous practices, so this permeated their environment. Paul started this subject by saying that everyone has knowledge, but knowledge can make a person arrogant, but love love edifies. 
Paul then explained that idols are just objects and those who are stronger know that it does not matter if we eat meat sacrificed to idols. Yet there are the weaker ones who probably due to their background before they became a Christian who refuse to eat meat that is sacrificed to idols because to them it is unholy. Paul then said in verse 9, But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Verse 12 reads, And so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. If you remember when Paul saw the risen Lord on the road to Damascus as he was persecuting the church, Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When we hurt the body of believers, we are hurting Christ himself. Verse 13, therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. An example nowadays that I can think that would correlate with this is perhaps you have a sister in Christ who was an alcoholic, but now she is free from that addiction. Would it be godly to meet her at the bar to have dinner? Or a sister that's on a diet, would you meet her at a bakery or a chocolate shop? We are not to be stumbling blocks to our fellow believers. I may be able to have a drink without any problem, or maybe it's okay for me to have a Danish or a box of chocolates, but if I cause my sister to stumble, then I am not walking in love. In chapter 9, Paul defended his apostleship, which was constantly an issue for him. If you remember, Paul was not one of the 12 apostles. He did not walk with Jesus, and he also did not see Jesus after the resurrection in bodily form. He did not see the ascension. He also was not at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down on Christ's followers. But he did have the encounter with the Lord Jesus. He saw Jesus in the bright light, so much so that it blinded him. And he was called by the Lord Jesus for service. He then said that the church in Corinth is proof of his calling. He said he has the right to eat and drink, to have a believing wife like the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, or in other words, Peter. Verse 6 reads, Or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? One thing I like about this is if you remember, after the first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas got into an argument and went separate ways. Barnabas took John Mark, who the argument was about, and Paul took Silas. Now, in other letters of Paul, we see that John Mark became helpful to Paul in his ministry. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. But little is said about Barnabas. Here, however, we see that Barnabas is with Paul. We also know that this is after the second trip and during the third. So this letter is after their argument. So it seems that they have reconciled, even though there is no record of that in Acts. Paul goes on to say that they have a right to be paid for their services, but Paul never did. He is saying that even though I have the right to do something, 
does not mean that I should. It goes back to chapter 8. Even though I am free to, it does not mean that it's always the right thing to do. Verse 19 reads, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. Paul was able to relate to Jews because he was a Jew, and to Gentiles because he was a Roman citizen. Verse 22b reads, I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. He then used an example of running a race, and he ran it in such a way as to win. He did not want to be disqualified. I had explained before that the Christian faith shares the Jewish faith. We share the same Old Testament scriptures. Of course, Jews don't call it the Old Testament because they do not accept the New Testament scriptures. In chapter 10, the Jews and the Gentile believers all share the same father, the same background of faith. Verses 1 through 4 talk of our fathers under the cloud that guided them, all passed through the sea on dry ground, and that represented being baptized into Moses. In the Jewish wanderings in the wilderness, they ate the same spiritual food, fruit from heaven, and drank the same spiritual water from the spiritual rock, and that rock is Christ. When I think of this passage, I understand more why Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land because he hit the rock instead of speaking to it. Numbers chapter 20 verses 8 through 22. The rock represented Jesus, the giver of life-giving water. All these people were given such blessings of God's presence, yet Most God was not pleased with, and they died in the wilderness because of their unbelief and disobedience. Verse 6, now these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Paul listed a few of those. Then verse 11, now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. This was another verse that my Old Testament professor loved. Why? Because it proves the importance of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we see examples of what we should not do as well as what we should do. Plus, the Old Testament was written for our instruction. There is much to learn about the Old Testament. We then have verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But when you are tempted, he will provide the way out so that you will be able to endure it. When we read the Old Testament, we found that we are not alone in our struggles. And I don't know about you, but many times I thought, boy, they had it rough. We are not alone in our struggles with sin, and God gives us what we need to overcome. That is found in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. This is also one of those reasons why we need the church in order to stay accountable and to not be alone in our journey of faith. 
Paul then goes back to the sin of idolatry and how we are to flee from it. Even though earlier Paul explained that idols were just pieces of wood and they themselves are not gods, he now explained that the practices are demonic and how as Christians we are not to partake in worldly experiences. Verse 23, Paul restates, All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. We are not to seek just our own welfare, but also that of our neighbor. He said, buy meat from the market, but don't ask if it's sacrificed to an idol. In other words, ignorance can be bliss. But if your brother or sister in Christ tells you that it is sacrificed to an idol, then don't eat it for their sake. But then he also explained that we also are not to be controlled by others and their convictions. But whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Verse 31, for the goal is that others may be saved. So ladies, what jumped off the page for you during this reading? Are you living in Christian freedom or are you controlled by others and their beliefs? Are you living in such a way that you have become a stumbling block to a believer or an unbeliever and your freedom has caused someone to fall? Do you need to repent or apologize? Is the goal of your life to bring glory to God? Are you running the race to win or just to finish? If you heard his voice today, please don't harden your heart. Instead, let's be women who hear the Lord and obey. Until next time, and thanks so much for listening.